Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. This is Kale Brown. Now, I didn't play a doctor on TV, but I will prescribe Brandon's Buzz for absolutely anybody who wants to know what's really going on. Hey, guys, this is Brett Claywell from One Life to Live, and you're listening to Brandon's Buzz. This is Taylor Dane, and you are listening to the one and only Brandon Buzz. Hi, this is Lynn Herring on Brandon's Buzz. It's the great entertainment talk show on now. Brandon, I love you. Thanks for having me. This is Linda Dano. I'm on Brandon's Buzz, and I have to tell you, what a fun hour I just had. Ah, this is a great kid with a wonderful heart and soul. You listen every day. I know I will. Hey, hey, this is Nia Peoples, and you are checking out Brandon's Buzz right now. Hi, everyone. This is Eric Martin from the band Mr. Big. I'm live and kicking on Brandon's Buzz. Hi, this is Dave Romero, and you're going to love buzzing with Brandon's Buzz. Hey guys, welcome back to Brandon's Buzz. I am Brandon. I have a fantastic guy on the phone, and we've got a lot to talk about, so we're just going to jump right in here. You know, most actors are lucky enough to find one iconic role in their role in their careers. My guest tonight has found two and counting. A sensation as romantic vampire Quentin Collins on the classic ABC soap opera Dark Shadows. He would go on to even greater fame as slick newspaper magnate Richard Channing on CBS's iconic primetime soap Falcon Crest. And take a quick review of his, of his filmography, and you'll discover there's practically not a hit series of note, from Alec McBeal to Kojak to even Mad Men, on which my guest this evening hasn't appeared. And you can catch him in theaters right now in David Fincher's white-hot new film, The Social Network. And he's come by the buzz this evening to talk about all of it. He, he won't like me saying this, but I literally grew up watching and admiring this man's work and talent, and I can't tell you what a thrill it is to welcome to my show tonight the dashing, the dazzling David Selby. Goodness gracious, what, a, what an intro. I should record that. My mother would have loved it. How you doing, sir? I'm all right. I'm all right. So, uh, for those who don't know, give me the 60-second bio on David Selby. Where were you born? Where were you raised? Where'd you go to school? Let's get that stuff out of the way. I was born in West Virginia, uh, Morgantown, West Virginia, which is the home of West Virginia University. Go Mountaineers, West by God, Virginia, all of this. Um, my brother still lives there. I have a lot of relatives that still live uh, there. I grew up in West Virginia, went to school at West Virginia University, then uh, went on to graduate school eventually out to Illinois in Carbondale, Southern Illinois University, where I, you know, I had no, uh, I, I stayed in school because I wasn't sure how to get into this world of show business. You know, you mentioned West Virginia. Talk to me about talk to me about growing up there. You know, I was born in Texas and I've lived here my whole life. And yeah. and people who don't live here have their own ideas about what Texas is like, the same way that they have their own ideas about what West Virginia is like. Right. Uh, tell me the truth about about growing up there. Well, 
you know, I grew up in a college town, so, you know, uh, I love college towns because they, they keep you young, they keep you vibrant, you're always up on what's going on. No doubt. always bringing in. So even though I did not partake of that when I was growing up in Morgantown, and the <laughs> university was literally a mile from my home, but uh, later I started going to football games, and I realized that, oh, my goodness, I, it was my only choice. You know, I, we didn't have uh, a, a whole lot of money to go away to school, uh, but, but we had a good university right there, and so that's where I went. West Virginia, you know, is, is, is like a lot of other places. I mean, every place has its own particular unique charms, and, and, and certainly West Virginia. They always talk about uh, West Virginia, or I do anyway, about the Lost Island. And, and uh, there's a part of you that, wa- that wanted to keep it that way, mm-hmm. you know, the Lost Island. And then they started building the interstate system, and, of course, you know, north and south and east and west. And so uh, West Virginia got cut up. But a lot of people would just drive right through the interstate, you know, and <laughs> hop off at, like we all do, you know, and they're – Every exit ramp, uh, whether you're in Texas or or West Virginia, began to look alike. You bet. Uh, you know, we had the same, to a certain extent, the same fast food places. Damn you right. Know, yep. The, the same gas stations, everything. So it was hard to tell when you were just exiting like that after a while whether you were in, you know, Rhode Island or, <laughs> or Morgantown, West Virginia. It didn't matter. Uh, but... West Virginia, you know, it, 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 there was always a lot of stereotypical kinds of things, the hillbilly, you know, um, uh, connotation about growing up there and all of that stuff. But there are a lot of people there who, who uh, admittedly, it has. Uh, there are problems like every other place, but it's a beautiful state. People there travel. They go to Paris. They do. You that. They do that. The mines, the fossil fuel energy that has West Virginia has provided this country has put it behind the eight ball. And I think still, to a certain extent, there are a lot of people in the country, and California being one of them, Los Angeles. Los Angeles gets 40 to 50 percent of their power direct from coal. Now, they get it out of the coal power plants in Utah or Nevada or um, et cetera, but that coal is coming from Wyoming and West Virginia, basically. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, the people back in West Virginia have paid it dear price for that. And right now they've got a thing called uh, mountaintop uh, mining removal where they go in and chop off. This is in the southern Appalachians of West Virginia and parts of Kentucky, uh, northern, or I guess western Virginia, right? In, but mostly West Virginia and the southern Appalachians where they've decimated the, the mountains there because they mm-hmm. chop off like the top 800,000 feet mm-hmm. to get at the coal because it's quicker, cheaper, um, you know, and it, it, you don't have the, the deep mining uh, in those areas that used to, but now you no longer have the mountains. And that's proved devastating, I, I, uh, in my opinion. And But at the same time, the country has sort of uh, not been weaned from, uh, you know, from coal. Eventually, uh, this country will have to wean itself away from coal, and the sooner to my way of thinking, of course, the sooner the better. Absolutely. Uh, and now, in places like West Virginia, there is a price to be paid. And I think the government has to, everyone's talking about small government these days, or get the government off our backs. But 
on the other hand, no one wants to give up their Social Security <laughs> Medicaid or, you know, things like that. Uh-huh. But in West Virginia, I think the federal government could step in and provide a helping hand to those areas that are decimated if coal is gone. If, um, you know, we run into another energy, you know, if uh, certainly the, uh, if solar somehow or some kind of nuclear, I, I'm not sure, but if solar, certainly the wind uh, machines aren't going to do it. I, I don't know. You know, there was uh, a fellow, uh, what was his name, from Texas actually, ran all those commercials. I thought it was interesting uh, to a certain extent talking about doing a lot of wind Power, uh, You're talking about T. Boone Pickens. Yeah, T. Boone Pickens. And uh, remember when he was running all the ads? Absolutely, yeah. You know, I sort of said, hey, you know, he's on to something here. Uh, I know he's made a lot of money. I don't know whether it's in oil or uh, probably oil. But anyway, it's just like the, the uh, BT um, fiasco down in the Gulf. You bet. Uh, you know, what do we do? Uh, those people need help. Uh, if we're not going to allow the, the oil to be then we've got to transition out of this uh, fossil fuel. And uh, obviously, I think the faster we do it, and I, I don't know that there are too many people, I guess maybe there are, that disagree with that, that we would be much better off, you know. Uh, anyway, I didn't mean to get off on <laughs> all of that stuff, Brandon, but I did. No, but it's interesting. As my, agent, as my uh, ex-friend Jason Robart, who I mentioned was in Washington Behind Closed Doors, we also did a film together called Raise the Titanic. We should have left it down there. <laughs> Jason used to say, what's cut won't flop. So any of this stuff that you're listening to, remember, what's cut won't flop. <laughs> you know, it, it's interesting that you mentioned uh, the coal and the oil. And, you know, if you listen to some of the experts who are talking about the oil in the Gulf of Mexico, I mean, they're they're saying that it's it's basically a ticking time bomb. I mean, you know, one of these... One of these explosions and another another one of these environmental disasters could happen at any time. Yeah, you're absolutely right. So what do we do about it? We have got to, you know, we during World War II, we had the Marshall Plan over in Germany. We rebuilt, basically, or helped rebuild Germany and Japan and all of these places. Boy, we need a Marshall Plan for the United States. <laughs> I mean, we've got to get in there and if we to try and... And the infrastructure, and I do believe Obama's trying in that uh, way to rebuild. Now, whether or not that all that tarp money or whatever is getting out into the roads, I, I noticed that California has been slow to spend the, the money that was allocated. Uh, that was just in the paper the other day, so I was wondering why it's so bloody slow. But if you don't know the answers, it's sometimes uh, tricky to ask the question. <laughs> you know, but I, I don't know. Uh, and you know the scary thing is it's not it's not really a democratic issue or a republican issue it's a no. human issue and and no, you know the people who are very much so Brandon very much so and I, I I doubt if there are very many people that disagree with that and the people yet the people the gatekeepers the people who are in charge are not don't seem willing to let go of their their partisan politics long enough to you know actually get something done and actually you know work together and accomplish something absolutely right. I agree a hundred percent with you. You know, and I try not to what. Um, you know, you don't want to be angry. You don't want to be, you know, and 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 start falling into the same trap that uh, we seem to listen to every day uh, on the uh, news. And sometimes I think the media, like the guy down in Florida, you know, the preacher, that was going to burn the Korans. Yeah. Burn the Koran. Well, my God, the media hopped on that. You know. You bet, but the, you know the thing about that is there are five 
24 hour uh, uh, news channels and they've all got to fill the air with something and the minute the minute one of them throws something up on the air the other four chase after it trying to you know get that story too yeah and, and it just, now, it, yesterday a guy got on the air on uh, CNBC and said that the stock market was going to fall to a thousand well <laughs> he predicted the last so I said okay okay you know what am I going to do? What are my children going to do here? What am I going to do? They're going to have nothing left. Nothing. We're going to have a, I'm gonna, you know, but the, the, so what do we all do? Do you run out and sell yeah. whatever little stock you got and just say, now where do you put it? The old days of throwing it under your mattress. Yeah. What in the damn hell do you do? So I don't know. I, you know. So. <laughs> Anyway, back, uh, back to happier topics, as it were. Uh, talk to, you know, talking about West Virginia, talk to me about what being an actor even meant to you at that time, being in West Virginia. I mean, did you have the, did you have the temerity to imagine growing up that you would or could become an iconic television star? I mean, did that even? No, 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 no. If I, you know, you know, it's like everything else. If we'd have known, if we'd have known what the, this was going to entail, maybe we would have stayed home. <laughs> Or become a veterinarian. Right, or become a veterinarian, right. <laughs> no, I listen, I was lucky. I've been so lucky, so privileged, so blessed to be able to do uh, what I did. And, uh, you know, it, it, it gets down to persistence, believing. You know, I always tell, you know, the young kids uh, to believe in that dream, dare to dream, and remember persistence. And uh, sometimes persistence and diligence and uh, willing to... Uh, you know, just keep at it, keep at it. Eventually, you learn something, <laughs> and, and eventually, you say, "Hey, I can do this." You know, I at first in West Virginia it was total a, a dream, but I began having that dream when I was quite young. Uh, I mean, I sort of knew that I was going to do something. My first year of college, uh, it dawned on me that this was it—that uh, <laughs> I could, that I could do this. And, wow. Uh, I enjoyed it. I liked it. I it, it's something. It, it it meant something to me. Sure. And, and it was maybe the first time where somebody came up to me and said, "Hey, that was good." And boy, do you know a little pat on the back like that. You bet. You along it's way. like gold. That's right. It is. It is. And if you're and if you have one or two teachers that do that for you during your uh, time, what a what a uh, you know what a wonderful thing. Wow. I was very lucky to run into a couple of teachers that said, hey, you can do this. And I remember asking the first guy, what do I have to do? And he said, go to New York for 10 years. And, well, it, you know, after that I, I couldn't because I thought, oh, my goodness, I got, it was, how do you get out of West Virginia, you know, whatever. But eventually uh, uh, we did. By the time when I left West Virginia, then uh, I was married. And uh, so... We went. That's when we went on to school in Illinois. And uh, but being an actor is, you know, a lot of times uh, in in show business, it, it, that's the obvious thing because that's the thing people see. You know, you see the actors; they're playing their characters up on the screen or sure. on the stage, and that uh, influences a lot of people, and that's what they want to do. And then a lot of people start out. Um, wanting to be actors or thinking they do, but then they switch and they find out, oh, goodness, no, I'm a writer. Yeah, I'm absolutely. A writer. I'm an editor. I'm a li- I love doing lighting. I love doing sound. And I can't tell you the number of people I know that have found a, you know, wonderful careers, but 
being willing to uh, what climb the ladder and uh, take a uh, take that leap of faith is very big, and no matter what you do. Well, I tell you, some 40 years after the fact, people still talk about dark shadows. I mean, yes, it's, they do. Yeah, yeah. Tell me why that well, struck such a chord with the audience. Well, I, you know, none of us, of course, realized back then. We knew we had something special because of the number of fans we had when we were shooting on West 53rd Street in New York. But um, we didn't know or have any idea it was going to be around this long. You bet. We knew we were into something because it was basically classic storytelling, you know, although a lot of the stories were borrowed <laughs> from other classic stories. <laughs> but, uh, well, you know, uh, not for nothing, but they say there's only seven stories in the whole world anyway. So. That's, right. That's right. And believe me, we borrowed heavily from every one of those. <laughs> and we were particularly fond of those classics, the uh, turn of the screw, you know, the uh, – Brontes, you know. Uh-huh. <laughs> anyway, um, I think Dark Shadows was successful. One of the ways is, and I've commented upon this before maybe, is because of it, it was successful in creating its own world. They were big stories. And Dark Shadows, it was live to tape in those days, meaning we never stopped. Uh, you know, we just didn't let. Every, unless the studio was falling in, we, <laughs> and sometimes even when it was falling down, and, and, and sets were. Was, so that, I always say the, the microphone, seeing the microphone in the, in the shot, be, it, the microphone became another character. Soon, I think the audience didn't even pay it much attention. <laughs> you know, the, oh, there's the mic. Yeah. <laughs> and it, it, you know, there were no televisions or computers or this and that, and we could switch these, uh, you know, centuries. Oh, if it's not working here, hold on, we'll we'll, we'll move a century back, and maybe it'll work there. <laughs> so, uh, and then we hit, the, they hit about 1897, and that's when uh, Quentin sort of materialized, and uh, that was a good run. We ran, we ran those that year for like eight or nine, ten months, maybe a year, I don't recall. But so he could do that, and it was really a repertory uh, company, in effect. Uh, actors would play different roles, you know. And, and now, you know, they 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 just held in there, and uh, they would hold these conventions um, uh, yearly or sometimes more than that. I think now they do them between L.A. and New York. They used to do one in Texas, I'm sure. Anyway, I, uh, the, the rumor is it's more than a rumor. I guess Johnny Depp and Tim Burton are doing the film. Absolutely. Whether or not there's a role in there for the old guy. <laughs> and, uh, but I wish them, I want it to be well, and it will. It's going to bring new viewers. It's, it's sure. going to be wonderful. I'm, I'm, and Johnny Depp, I had mentioned this to Dan Curtis, I suppose, oh, my God, 12 years ago, a dozen years ago that I was a fan of Johnny Depp. And then uh, he and he met with Johnny Depp after that because some people had always wanted to do a film, another film of Dark Shadows. Mm-hmm. But Dan, you know, he didn't want to, and he was right. It was his baby, and he didn't want to let go of it. And for whatever reason, he met with Depp, but at that time it didn't work. So uh, Dan's um, trust, you know, his two daughters, they've... Uh, they signed a deal with, with Tim Burton, I'm not sure which. And anyway, they're doing it, which is, is, is quite wonderful. And, uh, you know, there's hardly a day if you're out, you know, if someone doesn't say, hey, <laughs> hello, Quentin. <laughs> and 
I'm, I'm just glad they still recognize. Well, you know, with with Twilight and with the with the TV series True Blood, vampires are kind of all the rage again in popular culture. I mean, right, right. What is it about vampires that we as a society, no matter the age, find so fascinating? Oh, I think it's we just all love that. We we love it. It's, it's fantasy. It's it's uh, you know they they've they've had a vampires have been around for God, what centuries. You know, uh, at different times, at certain times, you know, there was a reality about them. I, um, I, I wrote a book about uh, that's sort of out. It's uh, called My Shadow Past, and I just finished it. They're in fact they're uh, they're printing them now. But I talk, go back and look at uh, the '60s, you know, and Dark Shadows, and what the '60s meant to me, and and how Dark Shadows came about and all of that stuff. But one of the things I got into was about vampires, you know, and how the uh, myth, you know, Mm -hmm. and uh, the different kinds of the good vampires. You know, you look at uh, Graham Smith, who wrote a book called Abe Lincoln, The Vampire (laughs) Hunter, which uh, in its way, if you take it on its own, you know, um, uh, what? on its own ground rules, and uh, he did a very good job of researching, you know, the, the the period and Lincoln and everything. Well, there you have good vampires and bad vampires. Barnabas Collins, one of the reasons Dark Shadows was Barnabas Collins, played by Jonathan Fritz, was a classic. He was a reluctant vampire. It wasn't his fault. Uh-huh. He was, do you know what I mean? It's that classic story of man fighting against his own nature. Exactly. You bet. Exactly. You got it. And that kind of story is riveting every time. Yeah. It lives on. <laughs> you know, in, in preparation of speaking to you today, I read that you actually were offered the role of Gary Ewing on Not Planning, and you turned it down. Is that true? Well, what happened was, and I can't remember, call, um, what happened was I was doing a play, The Children's Hour, with uh, Joanne Woodward and Shirley Knight, and we were at the Berkshire Theater Festival in the Berkshires up there. And... They had been very Lormar. It was the same company. I, I had done an episode, as I mentioned, on the Waltons. And I was back there, and the what I was told was at that time, they wanted there was a role to come up, and they were going to start it on the show Dallas. And then he was going to be playing. So you'll have to tell me whether this is right or not, if you're knowledgeable about all this. He was going to be one of J.R.'s brothers, mm-hmm. and then they were going to spin that off into another show. That's correct. I, is that correct? That is correct. I had no idea what the show was, but so somebody assumed that it was not slanting, I guess. But I was doing it. I didn't even think about it, you know, because I was already doing the play. And to be fair, this was this was a couple years before Dallas really became the nationwide phenomenon that it was. Right. I. I yeah. And as it turned out, obviously, with the, the fellow who ended up playing, um, they got a terrific guy to play that role, Ted Shackleton. You bet. And um, so, but I didn't know anything about not landing. I didn't know whether you know they'd even uh, had the show. But I do remember that came my way. But they had enough patience with me that uh, <laughs> not long after that, then um, Flamingo Road. Then came my way, and of course, out of that came King uh, Fox and Chris. Right. And it all worked out for the best because and it, it all worked out for the best. It's probably safe to say that you're best remembered for your role as charming, somewhat dastardly rogue Richard Channing on Falcon Crest. I guess so. You know, I you know I tend to look at it as 
What? Just another, uh, <laughs> you know, it was another job in this whole, you know. But uh, that series had legs. You know, uh, talk about being a member of that cast and realizing that you had all hit on something very special. Well, we, I knew it was uh, sort of going to be fun because uh, Jane was strong and fun and Susan Sullivan, Hannah, Alicia, Robert Foxworth, um, and the people that came that were there, Cesar Romero, Cliff Robertson came in. Uh, Lana Turner came in for, for a bit. Lana Turner, Lana came in, Gina Lola Bridget came in, uh, Leslie Carone came in, Jane Greer came in. Kim Novak came in for, for a bit. Kim Novak came yeah. in. Um, Talk I about the cream of the crop. Them, uh, if they could get Catherine Deneuve. And I think they tried, but uh, she, she uh, had other things to do. So that was uh, a delightful thing. And uh, I know there were tons of people that I that I haven't mentioned that came through. E.G. Marshall. I started out, I think, I think on this show, I was uh, that uh, the character was uh, E.G. Marshall's son. I think that's how it emanated. I'm not sure. But then it turns out in the long thing that he was actually <laughs> Wyman's son, too. So maybe uh, maybe they had a little thing. I don't know. But, yeah, it. Uh, I went in on the second season. They'd already been running a season. Had a great time and uh, decided that uh, that's when I decided to move to California because the commute back and forth to New York had gotten to be too much. Wow. You know, uh, you mentioned Jane. She was so great. And, you know, I've read several interviews and accounts over the years, and my understanding is that she was a bit quiet and reserved, you know, the classic steely matriarch, but but she ruled that set. Is that is that fair enough? Yeah, I don't know. She was, I suppose, a little reserved, but she had a great laugh. We loved to have fun. She was the, the consummate professional. She never, ever missed. The only time she ever missed being there on my uh you know, when you're doing your close-ups or whatever, and the other actor is standing mm-hmm. next to the camera or wherever, doing their lines. You know, only one time in all those years did she have to be excused, and she had to go to the hospital. She never missed it. She was always there on time, always early, actually. And, yeah, she didn't cotton a lot of nonsense and all of that stuff. She was there to get the job done, and we got it done. You know, given that you guys ran during the Reagan years and, and in many ways epitomized them, uh, was there any awkwardness there at all with, with Jane and, and no. you know, that whole history? No, of... no. She said, she said to me, she said, everyone thinks that, that Ron and I are not friends. She said, but that's not true. She rarely talked about it, but only a couple of times do I recall, you know. I don't even know what her political... I'll tell you the truth, I don't know what her political uh, leanings were. Wow. Uh, but uh, that's one thing she did say to me. <laughs> that she didn't... Everyone thinks that we're not. That's not true. We, we, and yeah, I can imagine her as first lady, though. I mean, she <laughs> she'd have been a pistol. Wow. <laughs> But uh, Nancy, there's no one that took better care of uh, uh, President Reagan than Nancy Reagan. You bet. You bet. And she, she's just amazing. You know, she's still ticking. Uh, she's still incre- in there. Yeah, incredible. Just incredible. Unbelievable. What, you talk about persistence and discipline, and, you know. And, uh, you know, as much hell as she took from people on the left and the right, and she, and she still just stood yeah, above it all and, and just and from what stayed you, the course. From her children, she took a little You bet. Of no question about it. Yeah. 
And the magnificent <laughs> Susan Sullivan, please tell me she was a dream to work with, even if it's not true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, are you kidding? If I said anything, she'd hit me. <laughs> Uh, no, she's absolutely a dream. In fact, we still see each other. I'll see her in a couple of weeks, you know, this uh, Paley event thing for Falcon Crest. But she's doing this, uh, and I haven't, I'm embarrassed to say I've never seen it, a show called Castle. Uh-huh. And uh, she, you know, Susan, she's wonderful. And I knew Susan from the early days in, uh, you know, in New York. We even crossed paths once at the Cleveland Playhouse. That was many years. <laughs> you know, everybody has their own opinion on, on Falcon Crest's bizarre final season, and I don't want to dwell on that, but I have to tell you, I was in eighth grade that year, and as I told you, I I watched that show coming up at my grandmother's knee. I can't remember not watching that show. Right. And I had not read that Susan was leaving the show, and, you know, this was way before the, the Internet spoiled everything for everybody in that regard. Right. But that image of, of Maggie Channing hanging upside down in that pool trying to get that enormous diamond ring out of the pool drain, that remains one of the most arresting, one of the most... Visually shattering scenes I've ever seen on television, period. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a sad scene. I don't like to go back to there because I didn't even want that scene to happen. <laughs> you know, watching this show that was once so great die such a slow, I don't know, kind of ignominious death. Are, are you the kind of actor that, that leaves it at the stage door, or was it difficult for you to watch that show just fade away? Uh, well, what happened was, you know, they, they had so many um, political upheavals <laughs> within the producing ranks that it the show suffered. So that there by the end, the last two seasons or whatever, there was a whole new regime. Mm-hmm. And it lost its uh, I don't know. You know, it's difficult, you know, and it's been a lot of years ago now, so but I, I do remember there was uh, some topsy turvy, some infighting, some you know, changeover. Absolutely. And whenever those kinds of things happen now the show may have gone its own way anyway. And perhaps that's why certain changes they felt. I don't. I. I. I don't know. Usually the actors are the last. To know. <laughs> <laughs> By the time it filters down to the floor, you know. You know, it, 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 it's one of the tenets of American television, to my eye anyway, that a long run is the only thing deemed worth striving for, and you know, consequently, shows that are great tend to wear out their welcome, and it, and you know, it can be sad to witness. Oh yeah, sure, sure. I mean, you know, you take the classic shows, whether it's Cheers or. Mash, you know, Lucy, but I can still turn in some of those things and just, you know, sit there and watch them. (laughs) Absolutely. You know, and and now with the advent of cable television and, and, you know, TV on DVD, entire new generations of fans are discovering and falling in love with Falcon Crest. I mean, you know, SoapNet ran them all a few years ago, and the first season was released on DVD in the spring, and I believe season two is out later this month. Uh, that must be exciting to you, you know, this idea that just like so many people found Dark Shadows after the fact, people are going to be finding this series all over again. They'll be finding it again, yeah. I, I'll have to get that uh, season two. I haven't, I guess at some point I'll find out and somebody will send me some information and I'll have to get it. Absolutely. You know, you mentioned all your all your uh, stage work. I know you've achieved a great deal of your fame and notoriety doing film and television, but you know, you've also done a great deal of stage work. Talk to me about the differences. Do you prefer one over the other? Well, no. I listen. I like to do it all. Um, it depends on what you get to say, you know, and the people you're working with. Uh, the obviously the stage, you know, the audience is right there. You get that immediate reaction. Once the curtain goes up, you're out there. You know, there's no one thing cut. 
uh, <laughs> it's a collaborative effort, but that collaboration, and then what happens is as you run a show, if you're lucky to be in a play that has some kind of run to it, then you find the role, you know, then you really, that's when you learn uh, about what the what the play is about, you know. Sure. So, but that immediate reaction of the audience, uh, they help you and guide you along to tell you, and then you get comfortable with, you know, a, a level, you know, you don't want to set in and, and, and uh, sort of um, just, well, well, the director is no longer around. We can sort of do what we want to do. No, you want that director to come back in six weeks or two months or whatever and say, oh, my goodness, how the play has grown or this performance has grown or whatever. So plays I, I, I still love. I, I, I love theater. It's, it's how it started. And I think uh, the theater, I, you know, you're always striving, you know, in a way, Brandon, to find that magic, the, the reason you started and doing this in the first place. Sure. And every once in a while you say, oh, my goodness, yes, I remember that. You know, what, how special. Not that film doesn't give that to you. It certainly does. I, mean, uh, I just did a film called Social Network. What a special time that was. You, you knew right away that that piece of material written by Aaron Sorkin and the film was directed by David Fincher was uh, just a, a special a, a special piece and no question literate script in a way it was it was theater you never know what media where it's going to come from it could be television film stage you know and occasionally in the theater you can go in the theater. Now, sometimes you'll run into plays that are a comment upon the times. I remember doing a play in the early 70s called Sticks and Bones, which was a commentary, uh, a hard look at the Vietnam War. But a lot of times you, the theater lets you escape, you know, for, for a moment. The radio, that's what Dark Shadows is. My goodness, it was a haven, you know. It lets you escape into this other world. Sure when everything around you in the 60s was the Vietnam War. Absolutely. Uh, New York City was bankrupt. There was a lot of fighting. And, but then, you know, uh, the middle of the country was falling apart. And we wondered where, how we were going to come out of all of this. A very vibrant time, but full of questions, full of questions about where the country was headed. And, uh, and in a way, we're going through that today. Absolutely. Uh, you know, we, we have a war in Afghanistan. We have the remnants of Iraq. We have the Iran situation. We have North Korea. So many things in the world. The theme of sixes and sevens, as Thornton Wilder said, in <laughs> how do we cope? And uh, uh, sometimes uh, uh, film, now the, the social network, is, that's social commentary. Yeah, I was just about to say, you know, you, you mentioned you mentioned things, you mentioned Theatrical pieces being commentary on the times, and in many ways, this must this must be that too. In terms of the way that we connect with each other as humans. Now, I'm not on Facebook. In fact, they tried to put me on Facebook I didn't, at the time. I didn't know what it was. I said, No, no, get rid of it. So it took about three months to get me out of it. And then, and then my my children said, Dad, you sure you should be on Facebook? <laughs> I still haven't done it, but they're, of course they're on Facebook. They love it. They've reconnected with old friends. It's been quite wonderful uh -huh. in that regard. 
Uh, but you're right in that sense that uh, how the world communicates today, what we're about. Lincoln talked about what we're all willing to do for success. And only inside do we know what that is. We have to have that sensor. We have to know the difference between It's a question of right and wrong. It's always a question between right and wrong. We find a lot of gray area today. <laughs> sure. You know, it seems as though technology has made it possible for us to connect with everybody on the globe, and yet, in some ways, it seems like we are more isolated than we've ever been as individual people. So we hope that all of this will allow us in some way to uh, to uh, have, uh, what, uh, a greater tolerance for each other. Uh, and maybe it will. Yeah, talk to me in as much detail as you're comfortably, you know, comfortable with about the script of, of social network. You know, Aaron Sorkin, I'm about as big a fan of his work as exists. And I don't know what you know of his filmography, but I firmly believe that in particular his television work, his three television series are going to stand among that medium's premier works in history when it's all said and done. Well, if you read the script of social network, you, you knew right away that, oh, here's a piece. Now, for the, they was, I was just delighted for this to come into my, you know, into my life because it had been a while since I'd seen a film script <laughs> that had this kind of um, quality and to be a part of it with all of these people with Spencer and Sorkin and, and the actors, Eisenberg and Garfield and all of these young actors. They were all so committed, so terrific. There were long hours, but uh, it was quite special. And I only shot, uh, I think I shot uh, i shot a week, long days, but uh, it was a good time. Tell me who you play and how you fit into the story. I play a lawyer. His name is Gage. He is taking on uh, uh, Jesse Eisenberg's character, Mark Zuckerberg. I represent the two uh, Olympic rowers, uh, brothers who are suing uh, because they feel that uh, their idea has been usurped uh, or stolen or what you will, borrowed. And it gets into that gray area to uh, what was private property or what was intellectual property that, you know, that uh, Zuckerberg or the character that uh, Zuckerberg Eisenberg plays is purported to have uh, borrowed from. <laughs> but there's no doubt that the Eisenberg characters of Zuckerberg was brilliant and had a great idea and had the capability to follow through on it. Sure. As you got deeper into this, did you find yourself forming your own opinions or did you just stick to the text? To tell you the truth, I had some problems, my own problems with, at that time with Facebook. After I learned more about it, uh -huh. a few stories had broken out about how Facebook was being, you know, there was uh, child pornography. Children were being taken advantage of on Facebook. Mm -hmm. where they, where their images were being lifted and, and used in, in ways that certainly was, um, that was never intended. But any time, you can probably go back and look at any Look at when television came in, or, or or whatever. Any new technology, there is always going to be a way to abuse that. You bet. Oh, I mean, oh, look at look at a look at a shotgun. Look at uh, a, 
A kitchen knife? I mean, look at anything. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Look at Craig's lips. <laughs> There's always going to be somebody. Look at every day on your computer that comes up. We've had to put in a new update for you. This protects you against yep. this or that. You know, what I'm, the updates you get on your computer. Yes. And you don't know what the hell you're downloading. Oh, no, what am I downloading here? <laughs> Uh, is this uh, a scam download or is it for real you bet. download? I, I, you know, so I rely upon my son to to, to uh, say, hey, we need this. Let's let's use this. Um, but why are they having to do this? They're having to do this because somebody is out there <laughs> working their little behind off, trying to figure out a way to take advantage of this system, you know. And they have nothing better to do with their time than that. Nothing better to do with their time. I'm always thinking, oh, my God, do you think of all the hours they've spent on this? Think what good they could do. But, you know, that's the, you know, that's the nature that uh, <laughs> humans, you know. Anyway, social network turned out to be, I mean, it, uh, I was delighted when I got to see a, a screening of it. Yeah, I was, I was going to ask you if you've seen the final product and, and if, if... I saw a screening of it uh, a week before it opened and... Uh, and did it turn out the way it read on the page? Yes, very much so. In fact, I think David Tensor was quite diligent in, uh, in translating Sorkin's script to the screen. He brought that script. The script was alive and everything, but Tensor, uh, you know... The, there's not a lot of fancy camera work or anything like that. It's, Which he's kind of known for. Yeah, it's a pretty straightforward story. You know, it's a good old-fashioned morality tale. Told very well. I was glad to be a part of it. So what's on the horizon for David Selby? You don't seem to be showing any signs of slowing down, to be sure. <laughs> oh, let's see. Somebody wants me to do a, a play about Tennessee Williams. I'm working on a new play called... Uh, Stairway to Heaven. It's about the guns for drug trade in the Southern Appalachian. And then I have a new book out called The Blue Door, which is about mountaintop mining, a woman trying to save her mountain. Again, it's in the Southern Appalachian. Uh, so the circle really does come full. circle comes full, yeah. <laughs> but I'm, I'm determined to, to move on from there, although I do have one more that is going to be said in that area. It's called... Tentatively titled Promises of Love. You know, Brandon, we all, you try and keep the, you want to go forward. No question. You want to go forward. And that's why I love talking, you know, uh, to you uh, on your show. I mean, uh, I thought any show was called, called Brandon Buzz. <laughs> well, I'll tell you something, Mr. David Selby. I have literally been a fan of yours my entire life, and this has been a spectacular thrill for me. It really has been. Uh, no, I've had a good time. So before I let you go, could I get you to do a promo for my show? Oh, yeah, I heard all of this promos going on. As long as it includes the words David Selby and Brandon's buzz, anything else you say is totally up to you, sir, and I'd be honored if you if you would speak. This is David Selby. I uh, just had the privilege uh, of talking with Brandon of Brandon's buzz, and the buzz word out there is it's a pretty good show, so tune in and listen. I don't know. This is sort of akin to the, uh, to the, um, you know, the, the radio shows where, and it, it could be dangerous, Brandon, where you sort of let somebody ramble on like me. 
listen, protect me, will you? Listen, I've done shows where where pulling answers was like pulling teeth. So I love the Ramblers. I love them. <laughs>
With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, oh, oh. 